Yeah, there's this one shot that stuck really hard in my head of Rochester walking across the windy plains, and he has like a bunch of ruffles on his jacket for some reason, and they all get like blown Dude. up. <laughs> like, okay, great. <laughs> like, okay. Style, style points. points. It's all for style. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's this jacket. It's going to keep you warm. He's like, no, I need a thousand fluttering layers so I can be like dramatic when I arrive. <laughs> I want to see more brooding. Good evening, Lillian. How are you? I had a whole, <laughs> Didn't mean to sound like a Dracula. I had a whole <laughs> good evening. Little bit in my head that I was gonna do, but the way you said good evening, hilarious. Um, the fact that we can never, we always tell our guests, our audience, when we're recording at night because it's such a different energy. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I hope I can stay awake. I can. I'm very. They excited need to about know this. right away that it's dork outside. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but Lillian, it's not just us here cackling like we normally do. We have a guest in the in the studio with us today. That's nuts. Maybe he should introduce himself. Oh, I should introduce myself. <laughs> Stra- I Stranger yeah. who's on the call with us. Who who are you? I have to I have to say who I am. I thought you guys were gonna just, you guys were gonna list my bona fides and just your name. Et cetera. <laughs> your credentials. All right. What listen, we told our get we told our audience last week and I'm gonna tell him again. This is a serious Nepo baby situation. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I, I, we were also desperate to have somebody join us, and we're like, your brother would do it, wouldn't he? He'd be willing. His standards are low enough. Who do we know that knows nothing about Jane Eyre, that is uh, easily bullied into doing what we want, um, and owns a good microphone? The list became one yeah. human person. <laughs> I am truly in the center of that Venn diagram. <laughs> What's your name, though, my guy? My name is Patrick. Oh, my God. Um, Hi, Patrick. Patrick Welcome to the podcast. Named by the same person as as one of the people on this call. Piper. Yes. My parents named Piper. have some shocking soap opera level uh, reveals to make as my first. This is actually news to Piper, is that your parents (laughs) didn't name you. Lisa and Zip Cotter did. So Crazy. I said one person, were... exactly one person. So Lillian, <laughs> you... You, Piper's parents named you. Uh... It was just like a whole, it was a whole situation. It was very weird. We're not going to get into it because it'll take the whole show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a crazy story. It's one of, one of the reasons we're so close. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so going back to the Venn diagram mm-hmm. of um, how you got yes. the honor of being here today, Patrick, um, we wanted someone who hadn't in the very least, hadn't watched a version of Jane Eyre all the way through. Um, so what is your experience with Jane Eyre leading up to this moment? Before uh, Saturday, when I when I watched this this film, uh, my experience with Jane Eyre was mostly hearing my sister talk about her <laughs> podcast. Um, nice. That was my main exposure. <laughs> so I did, I did know that uh, his wife was crazy and locked in the attic. Okay. Um, okay. So that particular thing was not a was not a surprise to me. Um, Darn. Exactly. I know. <laughs> I was really hoping you might not know the spoilie, but I figured Lillian would have like it, talked enough about the story. It and was published that, that almost two hundred years ago. There's been a lot of time for the spoilers True. to percolate. I think. Um, 
<laughs> Still caught me by surprise when I just saw it. So it's like, what? what? <laughs> Um, but some people might not have like ever watched enough, uh, a, a mm-hmm. movie of Jane Eyre. They may never have read it. And they thought to themselves, episode 87 of the Jane yep. Eyre Buds podcast, um, with guest Patrick Cotter, probably yep. the best way to like get into this. Um, so it's because of all my star power. Yeah. Which like fair, <laughs> um, but for those people, hello, welcome, what a choice, really proud of Hi. you. Maybe they just listened to this podcast and they've never consumed anything Jane Eyre. And so and go. so this is the first time that they're experiencing, yeah. you know, real relatability. <laughs> True. <laughs> wow. Because we're just, they just come to listen to our voices. Yeah. But every time we talk about plot like, details, they go, la, 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 la. Don't, don't. I just want to hear you guys laughing for five hours. Sue, we're kind of just our laughter. Yeah. Well, no, Yikes. just just the podcast without spoilers for, for Jada. <laughs> there you go. Podcast. <laughs> it's, a short, it's a short episode every time. And it is mostly even laughing. Oh, my gosh. Um, but we, so we don't worry listeners as much as I like to make jokes about bullying my brother. I did ask him before he was on a recorded line, if he would, uh, recap this. So yes. uh, by the way, just cause I know I, I almost just did it. I call him Petrie. No one else on earth does. Um, <laughs> you can do whatever you want because you're my list. You're our listeners. And so, um, yep. I'm allowed to give you permission to do that. So just just listeners of this very niche podcast will know Patrick <laughs> as Petrie. Yes. Um, but that's an insider. I am, I am wow. Petrie to my sister and fans of Airbus. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on the back of your next business card, Patrick. <laughs> Be like, what? It's like, don't worry about it. It's a joke for five people. <laughs> hey, we got more than five. Thank you, listeners. Um, it's true. <laughs> but Patrick, it's time for you to tell us the yes. story of Jane Eyre as okay. fast as you can. As fast as I can. <laughs> All right, tell me when to start. I've got I've got this timer up. I'll start it once you start talking. Okay. Um, so there's a little girl, her name is Jane Eyre. Uh she is living in a big house. Um, and and she gets um she goes her aunt sucks. Um and <laughs> And her aunt says, I'm sending you to school. And she's like, yay, school. And then it's a it's a terrible school. And uh, there's a doctor, and he's nice. And he shows up, and um, and he says, oh, you're the, these kids, uh, they're going to get sick because of the cold. And then they get punished. And yeah, they get sick because of the cold. And, and her like best friend dies. <laughs> and then um, she's old now. Um, and by that, I mean, she's still, she's like 20. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and now she, the, the, they offer her a job and she says no, because I'm going to be a governess. And then she goes and becomes a governess and there's a man and, and it's Orson Welles and you can't see anything other than Orson Welles. And, um, and, oh, there's also a child that she's taking care of. Um, and, uh, um, and there's a man and it's Orson Welles and he says, um uh and he just immediately bears his heart to her um and uh and then they decide they're in love and then um another woman shows up and she's jealous of her um but rochester doesn't actually like her and then uh he says marry me and she says yes and then they're getting married and um a man comes in and says you can't get married you're already married and then they go upstairs and there's oh there's also a fire um uh (laughs) 
but that was earlier. Um, and then they go upstairs and um, they open a door and uh, they're they're screaming, um, which is I think that was a. It's just like as soon as they opened the door, there was screaming, and then and then you don't actually see what's on the other side of the door, but the implication is that it's uh, his wife. And then he's like, "I'm so sorry," and I am married. And uh, it was when I was 19. And then she's like, "No, but I still have to leave." And then she left. And then she went to her childhood home, and her aunt is sick, and Bessie is there. Bessie was the one servant that was nice to her. And then her aunt dies. And then, um, uh, and then she gets a bunch of money from her aunt, kind of implied, I think. There's an auction and kind of implied. And then she hears Rochester saying her name like over the plains. Uh, and she goes to his house and he, uh, he, his house burnt down and his wife, uh, killed herself. And, mm-hmm. uh, now they can get married because he's blind. And, <laughs> She's rich and he's not question mark. <laughs> you did it. Yay. So, so for our listeners, there's a small chance that Piper might come out, cut out some of the like pauses or thinking moments. But I just need all of you to know that if you didn't know who was related to Patrick before he started the summary, you do now because he pulled a Lillian and that was super long. <laughs> that was Two minutes and 50 seconds. All right. When it comes to the timing things, I never edit those because we need the legitimacy. (laughs) So everyone's going to get that full two minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I think my favorite part is that at the end, she's allowed to marry him now because he's blind. Because his eyesight (laughs) is what was keeping them apart. (laughs) A little bit it was, I feel like. (laughs) The fact that Rochester could see was part of what was keeping them apart. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Problem solved. I, now he's ready. I have been dying to ask you this question. Okay. Since I heard that you'd watched the movie a few days ago. Yes. What did you think? Um, I thought it was um all right. It just felt very of its era. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, what like in, in what way? <laughs> you killed it. Apparently, all right. <laughs> I guess I my first kind of <laughs> my first kind of like to set the stage here, Patrick. Are you someone who enjoys kind of like old movies from that time, uh, or are you someone who are like I'll suffer through it if I I'm, have to? I'm more in that category. I'm not like a big Citizen okay. Kane guy. I watched Citizen Kane and fell asleep, and I'm like I can probably <laughs> understand that this has like you know historical value and and if you compare it to movies of the era it's probably really good but like the yeah it's we we stole all the good bits and put it in movies already so it it's not like impressive anymore (laughs) yeah there you go so glad that we set you up for forcing you to watch like a spooky old romance and if one from a time period that you're not crazy about so what a what a good player you are okay but on the other hand i am a big fan of like gothic literature Okay. So like, Sweet. so this is, and this is actually my other exposure to Jane Eyre, which was when Lillian told me, was talking about her podcast. And I said, I said something wrong about Jane Eyre. And you were like, and you were like, yeah, so you are like, you really don't know anything about Jane Eyre. And I was like, maybe if it was Gothic literature, I would know something because I've taken a class in Gothic literature. <laughs> It's like, like, surprise. Well, good news. <laughs> I got a twist for you. Well, and I will say this is by far, we talked about, so our, 
I think it was our last episode. No, the one before this was um, on the gothic elements of Jane Eyre. Yeah. And I was, I can't, I don't, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't know if it's because you just talked about that or if it would have struck you anyway. But this is one of the most gothic adaptations, if not the most. And we talked about that in the last episode too. I remember asking yeah. you like what you thought the ones were and definitely the, this is 43, right? Yep. I think the visuals that stand out to me the most of like making this like the iconic, like gothic adaptation mm-hmm. is when she arrives at um, the castle, mm-hmm. which here it is literally like a spooky yeah. castle. Like that is like one of the coolest shots in the whole movie, in my opinion. The kind of like shadow plane, mm-hmm. shadow box kind of thing of her getting off the carriage and going into the horrifying house, and then also just what the countryside looks like yeah. when she almost gets run down. Well, yeah, but- there's this one shot that stuck really hard in my head of Rochester walking across the windy plains, and he <laughs> has like a bunch of ruffles on his jacket for some reason, and they all get like blown Dude. up. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> like, okay, style, style points. points. It's all for style. <laughs> there's. It's like okay, here's this jacket. It's gonna keep you warm. He's like, no, I need a thousand <laughs> fluttering layers so I can be like dramatic when I arrive. <laughs> I want to see more brooding. Um, here's yes. the, there are two big things that um, I have learned since watching this. So learned way more about the movie. Um, but I also, so we watched this, this was one of the first 10 that we watched. So it's Mm -hmm. been like a year and a half since we watched this last. Um, so I've learned a lot about that. We read the book, but I also learned a lot about Orson Welles. Yeah. This man. Weird guy. Was obsessed with Jane Eyre. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. He recorded like six or seven radio versions of it for his radio program. both before and after this movie um cool this he like in reading about this film it was like peak orson welles celebrity peak orson welles like star power so they let him do Mm -hmm. whatever he wanted he directed this movie Mm -hmm. this is orson welles jane Mm -hmm. Eyre. um and every shot like that made me laugh because that is what that man wanted that shot to look like yeah well, that's awesome. And there's and there's a lot where you go, it's genuinely beautiful. Like you're like, mm-hmm. oh man, look at mm-hmm. that cool light go through there and look at that, you know, like and it and it is Yeah. You you got yeah, someone had a vision here. <laughs> when a fan of the original story is working on it, and then also someone who is this auteur of cinematography mm-hmm. and everything, mm-hmm. that's a pretty incredible combo. Um and I shared this with Lillian, um, but apparently uh, Guillermo del Toro believes that Orson Welles is the absolute perfect rendition of Rochester. So it's yeah. funny. Many talented people agree. I, I actually, it's funny because to me, this this comes the, he the in the first scene. My identification was one: all I see is Orson Welles, and two: because all I see is Orson Welles, I see Orson Welles trying to do the like booming voice, intimidating guy. <laughs> and so so i'm just like he puts on some fuzzy eyebrows he puts on some like some some just caked on makeup and then he does the deepest voice he can muster (laughs) 
it's such a such deep, a deep voice. voice like that's like what was taking most of my concentration away too is every time he would speak i'm like it doesn't seem like that voice should be coming out of this no. man that and there are scenes that again like so I, we've talked about before that like usually when i'm watching these i'm taking a lot of notes but when we do the rewatches i just try to watch the movie and see what sticks with me um and this one i did not notice this at all the first time we watched it this time i could not not notice it especially in the fireplace scenes there's a lot of scenes where he's like barely moving his mouth and it is super mm -hmm. clear to me that the audio is dubbed over that oh yeah a lot of yes 100 yeah i noticed the same thing too with like the delivery of like miss fairfax mm -hmm. and stuff like that it wouldn't surprise me if like the entire movie was like voiced after yeah. the, the fact there were just to get a quality that they there wanted. were moments i could tell like there was one of those fireplace scenes i could tell like he was he it transitioned you could mm -hmm. kind of hear the transition of that was that was recorded in scene and then okay that's adr you know yeah um totally so because i could see I think, he could make I'm, he does it, he did it on the radio right so he he has some yeah. he has some very specific i want it to sound this way and i'm sure that, that, that mm -hmm. he was he had some he, Absolutely. If, if he did if it didn't come out right he's got to re-record it mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> Not boomy enough. More boomy. What What are some of your thoughts about, um, I think it's Joan Fontaine, right? Uh, yeah. She's our Jane. Mm -hmm. um, what about this actress, uh, either performance or whatever? Or what do you think about Jane? To you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think, so I have also um, uh, afterwards, I think, and that's, that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. um, I did read the spark notes for Jane Eyre. And um, I think, like, it is... Jane Eyre is like a classic to me it comes off as like a classic like almost Christ-like figure right like very mm -hmm. like the the there's and there's like I think one of the big things that highlights which I feel like a lot of novels of the era do, do is like how different the the religious figures and the like actual people living the value Christian values are mm -hmm. right like because Jane Eyre is a great example of someone who you know, believes in charity and 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 caring for the caring for the the lowest in society and all this kind of stuff. And then the loudest, most Christian people are also bastards, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so and so that's kind of like the character of Jane Eyre comes off as. I mean, comes off as a self insert a little bit, especially because again, I've looked up some stuff about Charlotte Bronte, but um... yep, <laughs> I think so too yeah. personally. Um, it, <laughs> truly, to the point where when we talk about Charlotte Bronte, we often will say Jane. Sorry, Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and then the other context of like she had a relationship with a married man, and then you go. So she wrote a self insert novel where the person she was obsessed with. Her, her the the wife died and he went blind and so that they could be together. Yes, and yes, that's, yes. <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> no, it literally is. Like we every time we watch like a documentary or like we just saw this one called To Walk Invisible, that which like is kind of like a biopic about their lives. And I can't now not now that I have that info, I'm like, this is still an incredibly powerful yeah. story. But it's also kind of like it's like, well, I sat down that night and I wrote a seething story <laughs> where like she was awful and crazy. He was obsessed with me but i was too good for him i said no and so until she was dead and then we got to be together and it was perfect and great and i'm just like jesus charlotte 
<laughs> yeah. If that's how you handle your emotions, I mean, great. It created an amazing piece of literature, yeah. but. Well, and like. I, the right, what you know. I was thinking about that so hard during the proposal scene this time because I was like, mm-hmm. you're, you're leaving, which she did leave Belgium at one point. And I'm just imagining her having the conversation with him and him not saying any of that stuff and like not wanting to be like, oh, you're going to miss it here, aren't you? And she's just like, yes, I'm going to miss the school <laughs> and learning. And yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, well, bye. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for all the time. Get out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, okay, so um, Adele. Yeah, what do you think yes. of Adele? Adorable, annoying, great, bad. Um, I wasn't sure. The The note I took was I'm not sure how serious that French accent is supposed to be. <laughs> um, and then the, so the she, other thing that struck she, me was just the comparison between her and the friend who died um, and, like, that and then and then that relationship with like oh rochester isn't like the nicest but he like does the material taking care of her mm. and so that kind of like why we would fall in love with this guy is like ex- it's it's he's doing exactly the thing you wish you had and you wish the people around you had when you were a kid that kind of stuff that's so interesting i've never thought about i've thought about the parallels between adele and helen but i've never thought about it from that perspective of like um, Brocklehurst is the actual name, but I hate him. So he's broccoli. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. broccoli, um, like actively doesn't take care of these children, but claims to, and brags yeah. about it all the time where Rochester is taking care of Adele and yet is constantly talking about how he's not really doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, Broccoli is so actively not taking care of them that when the doctor closes the window so they won't get a cold, once the doctor leaves, he closes the windows open. And he's like, no, it's like you will get a cold because it's going to be good for your soul. The, the melodrama of this adaptation is so intense. I'm, um. I'm like a big fan. I love the over the top. This I think that's how you got to do gothic literature. Mm-hmm. I think people think of it as like you know, oh, it's like so, so deep and so careful and so measured. And you're like, no, they're, they're just, everything is turned up to 11. It's all about that melodrama and that silliness and that everyone is this ridiculous over the top character. Um, and just constantly existing there. Right? Like, <laughs> yes. Just yes. always at a 10. <laughs> How long can you hold that high note? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody feels anything uh, in one. Everything is wham. Well, and I guess something that I've always thought about before and uh, is the idea, like, I've always been like, wow, they were like so dramatic. They for sure knew it was funny. Like Charlotte Bronte knew it was funny to be overdramatic. And this movie had a self-awareness. This movie is so much funnier than I remember it being. And I think part of it is I'm laughing at the jokes they're trying to tell. Like the moments when it's way over the top, they're trying to make me laugh. Mm hmm. No, it's so good. The only person in this film who I would say does not apply to that rule is Miss Fairfax, <laughs> who is like a monotone, really doesn't show any facial expression. When she's like first leading Jane's through the hallways, like it stood out to me that she's just kind of like, it looks almost like she's like reading off a piece of paper. She's like, well, it's really cold here and I don't know how to describe him, but he's kind of boring. Anyway, this is your house, Miss. Bye. And I'm like, what is this? What's going on with this lady? <laughs> but maybe that was supposed to like make you feel on edge when she's at the scary dark castle and this lady is kind of like that. I don't yeah. know. It's, it is interesting. I, I Actually, something that I would have loved to look up is which of the actors are British. Because I'd say 
none of yeah, them. They're that, doing mid-Atlantic accents, right? Exactly. They're not doing British accents, mm-hmm. which is funny. And yeah. and it's just like, I don't know. It, some some of this I do feel like because it's an American interpretation, it's a little bit of a, a British caricature too. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. like like there's there's fun stuff. Bessie like the, is a caricature for sure. Yes, Bessie seems mm-hmm. like a caricature. Um, the 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 fact that it is a castle, right? <laughs> like British people. Yes. What do British people do? They live in castles. <laughs> like live in castles. Yeah, we had a dragon, but we decided to cut <laughs> if it. If you saw the house that Thornfield was supposed to be based off of, which we have shown before, it's like a little house with stone yeah. walls. Like it's yeah. like. It, I mean, it's a big house for the time, and like it, it would be fancy, and it would be fancy to Jane. But relative to the massive castle in this movie, yeah, mm-hmm. no, so great. <laughs> that is good. So we've covered little Adele, which, by the way, um, so she is—I can't think of her actress's name off the top of my head. Tootie is the, all I can think of too. <laughs> I know the thing that she's like most famous from in my brain is that she plays um, one of the youngest sisters in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, and so that's a movie that was, I think shortly after this. Yes. Um, so it's very funny to go from like that very clear American accent that we see her mm. with there to then her doing her best, yeah. like French accent. But also one thing that I kind of love about the performance too, is I feel like she's very much trying to like talk like how she thinks like a grown lady talks. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes through in the performance and I'm like, this is really cute. This yeah. is one of the best Adele's. <laughs> I think she yeah. captures the energy too of like. She's just so unbelievably cute. And they highlight, they, mm-hmm. it is one of those situations where like they've got a really good Adele actress. Cause some of them, some of the Adele's that we've seen um, are props. Like they're just mm-hmm. kind of also yeah. there. Um, yeah. This is one far from physically a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is far from the, um, the worst French accent we've seen a child do. That's, that's yes. incredible. I need some of these <laughs> terrible French accents. We've got some TV movies for you, my guy. Um, <laughs> but do you know that Adele was cute enough in this that she was the only one where after the bed is set on fire that they're like, oh, wait, the child. Yeah. We should check on her. <laughs> no <laughs> other movie does well, that. Yeah, is that in the book? Do you nope. know? That's so nope. funny. In the book, they don't give a In fig. the book, they <laughs> like, never care about Adele. That's they remember so her at the very end and send her to a good school. Um, also, the thing I want to point out is, yeah, Jane kind of forgot about uh, Adele. But Rochester really forgot about it. He said, Jane, wait right here. I'll fix this. And then left and did nothing for Adele. Nope. He's taking care of the maniac upstairs. One problem at a time. Also, speaking of that scene, I was very impressed by that fire effect. Yeah. I was like, right? That's that 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 looks like real fire. Um, mm-hmm. I think in a lot yeah. of the movies that we've watched of that time. Um, they just lit the set on fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. They probably had somebody in the wings, but, you know, the actors took care of it, so they're Pre-Osha. all Pre-OSHA. Yeah. Um, there's a couple <laughs> of things that stuck out to me in this, and I think the fire seat is for sure one of them. So when we were talking about our gothic episode, I decided that um, they do have the stereotype of damsel in distress. It's just that Rochester's the damsel. Um, because... <laughs> Uh, both in the fall off the horse scene and the fire scene in the book, uh, Rochester does none of the rescuing. He is in imminent peril. Um, <laughs> Jane puts the fire out by herself while he's passed out in the bed. 
Um, and in the meeting on the horse scene, he's supposed to hurt himself badly enough that she has to essentially carry him to her, his horse. Like she, he like puts his arm around her and she helps him get on the horse. Um, and in this one, Orson Welles was like, mm, I don't think that Rogers is really a damsel. Yeah. He's definitely. He's like, no, I'm really masculine. Well, that's. I mean, that. Yeah, that goes to 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 Rochester in general. Okay, so this is this is one of the big things I wanted to talk about. Okay, I feel like Rochester is in the book. Probably Rochester is very ambiguous as to whether he's. You know, your reaction for Jane should be, "Oh, honey, get out of there," or, um, <laughs> "You you can fix him," right? Um. Like, and I feel like it's probably ambiguous at the end to be whether, whether how happy you should be for Jane. Other than, I guess, at the end, it says mm. we were happily married for like 10 years. But like, I would say in this, it's definitely ambiguous. Like, I don't think you get to the end and you're like, you like, I, or at least I didn't get to the end. And I was like, this is going to be great for her. <laughs> like, like, this, this is going to work out. Um, I love hearing that perspective. I, that um, was. I feel like it's the more you sit with Jane Eyre. There are definitely different adaptations where I feel that way. For example, mm-hmm. Karen Hines, Honey, no. Oh God, you are yeah, going to be please. unhappy with that man. He is. It's going to be a rough situation. Um, mm-hmm. But you have stumbled into one of the um, most intense things that people who love Jane Eyre feel. They yeah. are adamant that Jane is supposed to be happy. Um, mm-hmm. And it is one of the most contentious things about adaptations as well, because there is a lot of room for interpretation in the mm-hmm. book as to what Rochester is saying and doing. So there's a lot of the, one of the things I was struck by was how many of the lines now that I know the book this well are directly mm-hmm. from the book. But there's not yeah. a lot of description of his body language or his tone or any of those things. So those are all up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. And Orson Welles decided he was a real man. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's he's manly and mysterious and full of passion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like the answer to this is maybe like super <laughs> obvious, but just to spell it out for us, what were the red flags for you, Patrick, <laughs> about why maybe she shouldn't be happy what with him in um, the end? Why don't you think why is it a happily ever after? Because um, he's not the kind of man you want women to be with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say maybe the biggest one is the locking his wife in the attic. Um, okay. And and here's the what thing. What is the now, problem there? She's crazy. The Well, exactly. So the book directly addresses, or the movie rather. I don't know about the book. But the, the, the movie directly addresses this. And he's like, I'm giving her every humane whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and you do do the math and you're like, okay, an insane asylum in uh, 1847 is not really a place you'd want to be. Um, you'd rather mm-hmm. be in your in, in locked in the attic of your husband's house, um, <laughs> um, but I but and in the, and in this story, Bertha is not given a lot of um, given a lot of character other than mm. spooky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. She's literally an off screen horror, right? They're like, we can't even show you; she's so scary. <laughs> Um, yeah, right? <laughs> you wouldn't believe it if you saw. <laughs> I want to come back to your red flags, but I want to do a quick little Bertha tangent. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of them not showing Bertha? Like, um, I don't know. I, it's, I, I think it really depends. So, I mean, so there's the, the actual interactions with Bertha. I kind of rolled my eyes at in this mm. movie. 
Um, but I, it almost comes down to like, what were they missing? Right. Like what, mm-hmm. what, what was the character of Bertha in the story? I don't think, I think Bertha was very much a plot element rather than a character. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like a, like it was, and the, and her being off screen entirely just kind of enforced that it, there's stuff like the first time she opens the door, when she goes upstairs, there's this screen cue exactly as she opens the door. And it just mm-hmm. felt so jump scary mm-hmm. and silly that like, I had a hard time, like, and I, th- I feel like that's almost one of those jokes that, like, they're yeah. on, right? Like, like, and it's just, mm-hmm. and so I feel like that's the limit of what they did for Bertha, and and I don't know if that's what she was in the book, but it, it didn't, it, I mean, I, like, the thing I got when I watched it is I thought of all the other gothic horror that I've, that I've read, or gothic mm. literature in general that I, that I, that I read, and you know, I thought of like how Poe would describe Bertha or how, how, mm-hmm. um, uh, right. And, and it's like the idea of like, all I could imagine was a five page long thing about the creeping horror of the something in the house that's mysterious and going to get you and, and, and how this horror reflects the horror of my relationship and the secrets of the, what, right. And all those kind of stuff that I actually really like about Gothic literature. That's, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they didn't do that. And it, partly it's because I feel like that that like I don't know that gothic internal monologue is hard to create in film, and mm. so instead they just had it yeah. be spooky. Yeah, totally. One thing that we talked about a lot on our first watch through of this is that a lot of movies um, will decide that you know the goal of the film is not to make you think hard about the morals of the story, but to make you swoon over the main couple. <laughs> and so their decision to not even show Bertha's face, like yeah. at most we see her from the back, at least it's implied that it's Bertha when mm-hmm. she's looking out over like the field. Um, but it kind of, our hypothesis is that by doing this, it kind of dehumanizes her. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much this other person you have to worry about. It's just the creepy monster that's the roadblock to you yeah. getting your blind guy <laughs> that you're thirsty for which so. <laughs> i i agree with all of those things i think that's that they did a really good job at making this creepiness and making it fit within the um the story and all that stuff but a fact that i have learned since the first time that we watched this is at the time and this came out both in the u.s but was very big in the uk as well it actually came out in the uk prior to coming out in the u.s because it had came out around christmas time then there um this movie uh was it was illegal in the uk to show any form of madness on screen Mm -hmm. so she was considered mad and therefore they couldn't put her on screen and depict her insanity because they thought it would make people insane. Oh my god, it's contagious. Yeah. It's contagious <laughs> through a scream. Yep. That's so funny. Okay, I didn't know that. I'm more familiar with like American Haze Code sort yeah. of like regulations, not the stuff that the UK did. So it's very interesting. To be totally fair to you with what I'm about to say, we have talked about Jane Eyre like a lot and talked about a lot of fun facts. <laughs> I have told you this before and you did react the exact same way. <laughs> yes, Me? on the podcast. Oh. Well, I have a brain like a sieve, so <laughs> we both talked right <laughs> I don't before remember. this about how exhausted we are. So fair, hey, whatever. <laughs> it's just new reliving the content, man. It's coming back. Um, okay, the gothic elements, the main couple, the child. Um, 
trying to think oh, here. Just so quick, how about sorry, a quick additional birth and note for Patrick? Yeah. Um, the way they interpret her, what, what you were saying about like her almost being a plot element versus a character also is somewhat true in the book. Um, sure. And one of the things that is like a big complex thing to talk about is our understanding of Bertha comes almost wholly from Rochester. So whether or not she's crazy is a mm-hmm. really big debate about. Jane. Well, and that, and that I think is like, like the red flag thing. Like that's exactly, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's one of those classic things where it's like, would that have even been as nearly as much of a red flag in 1848? Right. Cause that's, that's one of the, or 1847, which that's is so one of the, for you. sorry. Um, I did actually. Okay. So this is, I've, this is my very nerdy note. Is that is that I think this this is essentially a depression era book. I don't know. So the the eighteen mm. forties were called the hungry forties. Um, <laughs> it, so eighteen forty five was the year of the first year of the potato famine, and huh, and yeah. it was also historically low um, low yields for other crops in that year all across Europe. Huh. And eighteen forty eight was the year when a bunch of revolutions happened because people were starving, right? Uh, and so when we when you talk about you know when Jane is out on the street, super poor or whatever. Right. Like that is a very real reality of like seeing very poor people all the time. Right. And the, the idea. And so, and so it, that's one of the contexts that I thought about. And the fact that hmm. again, even just reading the spark notes, I feel like this version was stripped of any class discussion. <laughs> oh, for it sure. was like, Oh yes. It was like, we don't want, we don't want even slightly hint that we could be communists. <laughs> So one of the things I was going to kind of ask about is like your thoughts about kind of the story after Jane leaves the yes. house, um, because that is like the biggest departure in this mm-hmm. adaptation. Um, the things you were just talking about, which I assume you got from the spark mm-hmm. notes of her kind of being penniless and wandering around and looking for help. And that's definitely the social commentary that Bronte was writing. This one was like, nah, <laughs> what if she actually fell back on her resources and like went to the house and the people that she knows and got some place to live? Let's just go with that. <laughs> yeah, um, that was actually yeah. one of the other things I thought was was so uh, this this is just very relevant to the to the like money discussion. So one of the things Rochester says is like, oh, they're they're doting on me for my purse, right? Like he, the one of the reasons he doesn't like all of those other fancy people that aren't like Jane um, is because they they just want to take his money. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's in the back of my head, I was like, would Jane be into Rochester if he was like poor? Um, <laughs> and and that's an interesting question. But then I think the the that answer we're to just that, gonna just we're just gonna kind of brush past. Oh, you're answering it, okay? But the, but the, I think part of the answer to that is. <laughs> probably not but Mm. jane wouldn't like him if he was rich and an asshole because 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 here's the deal (laughs) right because he kind of is an asshole to these other people i was gonna say he is and and they still want to hang around right but she knows she grew up in a house Mm. that had money but also was full of assholes. And so she knows that mm-hmm. she would rather, right. I think in the back of her head, she's probably like, I would rather be penniless, but with somebody that I can trust than, than wealthy. Um, Which is very close to a line from the book. 
Yeah. Um, Because at the end of the story, like in the original novel, she does inherit um, a small fortune from an uncle that passes away. Uh, So she is like taken care of and has her independence that way. So when she returns to her now poor blind asshole, (laughs) um, she's like, well, at least I have money so I can deal with you being a jerk. (laughs) Um, But in this one, you could almost ask that question. I liked how you, in your summary, you kind of said, and now um, he's poor, question mark, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Like, in standing in the ruins of his house? Um, well, yeah, I don't know. This I one, don't know where his wealth exists. It might all be in his house, but you never know. He has um, tenants who, like, pay him so that, uh, to, like, work the land yeah. and stuff the like that. $8,000 yeah. a year, or 8,000 pounds a year income, which was a significant sum. Yeah, that's an insane um, It is um from his tenants so he is patrick's favorite kind of person a landlord he's a landlord yeah but everyone who was rich <laughs> yeah. back in the day was a landlord the only way to make any money was to <laughs> was to own land and have people pay you um, but he's exactly. a very he's he is to be fair a terrible landlord because he's literally gone all the time <laughs> yeah so like when mm-hmm. he comes back he's very annoyed by all the meetings he has to have because his tenants keep showing up because they have no idea how long he's gonna be there <laughs> yeah because miss fairfax is like well i'm accustomed to this man coming and going whenever he pleases but yeah it must suck for the tenant farmers <laughs> who are like hey dude my cows are dying i need some help the out fence here. broke a year ago and you were in france someone needs to fix the fence yeah <laughs> seriously get on that dude <laughs> But some uh, put a hammer and nail in uh, Adele's hands. She'll have some fun. Adele with that. would be a great <laughs> landlord as a child. Child Adele yeah. would be super good at it. Seriously, she's like, "Well, I couldn't fix the fence, but do you want to watch me dance?" And they're all like, "Yeah, go down, sure." <laughs> That'll be fine for a while. That was another line that, like, that those conversations, the fireside scenes, and other things, like it did strike me so much in rewatching this how many of those lines are from the book. Like Mm -hmm. the line where he says to Adele, which always sounds so harsh. This is how your mother charmed my English, that your French mother or something like dancing charmed the English gold out of my British pocket. I have no idea. But Mm -hmm. the, although in this version he said britches and I was like, (laughs) weird. (laughs) They did randomly throw in lines that they thought felt British. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Um, but, okay, any other, like, big things that um, really stand out to you, Patrick, that you're like, hey, look, I know you guys have spent a year and a half of your lives talking about this, but here's something you've never Well, I am fully annoyed that you've already perspective. gotten a couple that we've never – I'm so annoyed that you've already gotten some that we haven't talked about. Um, this is why we need the outside opinions. No, so, we don't. Send them away. Um, I, so the – her cousin – the the little boy i think yes. was the best casting in the world so good because my, this evil little doughboy <laughs> my quote was why does it look like i feel like his mouth is always full of candy and why do i feel like i can smell him and he smells like syrup um <laughs> he's one of the children from willy wonka's chocolate yes. factory he's like a, a guts he's truly the most like John Reed er, is a deeply hateable character. He's awful, but he's kind of like viciously awful. Yeah. Um, where this child is like so soft, <laughs> and he's just like a little cherub who yeah. like eats too much, and his mom is trying to keep him small all the time, which is why his clothes are so tight. <laughs> and- <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's just got the little blonde ringlets and he sits next to his mom being like, I've never done nothing wrong in my whole life. I liked that he and Jane had like a little like scrap, like right in front of all the adults. And it's just like, look, look at what he's doing. And they're like, no, it's her. She's awful and sinful. Well, and like that was something uh, that really struck me in this rewatch was the way they introduced Jane, which I know we've talked, we talked about previously. So there's a whole scene with the red room and all sorts of stuff that Mm -hmm. they cut out from the childhood because they're trying to get through it fast. Um, But the way they introduce Jane in this, they go up to the door and I didn't notice the first time we watched this, how similar all the shots of that door are to the door that Bertha is behind because Mm -hmm. one of the big conversations about the book is is Bertha meant to be a person or is she essentially an extension of Jane and this existence of like Jane's internal animalistic nature and like a metaphor um, and all that stuff. And I think the parallel that is so clearly intentional because when you watch this movie, like the cinematography is really intentional. The lighting is really intentional. The music is really intentional. Like all of it was clearly curated with a lot of thought um, so the way they go up to the door and the fact that that servant says to Bessie, be careful, she like could get you like that feels like she they're, bites. yeah, that feels like they're describing going up to Bertha's door and then to have that open and instead it's this little girl, it does make you think about what are they saying about Bertha with that? Yeah. Which is really yeah. interesting to me. I like that parallel. I was what stood out to me on this one is when Jane is brought up to take care of um, uh, Mr. Mason mm-hmm. um, and just the way that the door behind her with the big like mm-hmm. bolt in front of it is so like ominously lit that it's just looming over her shoulder. So I like these comparisons. It's very cool. Um, also, just so you know, Patrick, you may be thinking, having watched that scene, that like some of the lines like, do you faint at the sight of blood or like don't say anything to her. Like you can't talk to him if he wakes up like that feels over the top. And the reason for that is because it is straight from the book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That scene, that scene felt like it was straight from the book. Like that, 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 Mm -hmm. that scene, I was like, this is, this is what like, didn't feel like it was straight out of the book was like the wedding scene, which is weird because it probably was, but there was something about that wedding scene that just felt so weird. It made the world feel so small and it it was like they were shooting this movie during World War II and they didn't have a lot of resources to fill a room full of people. <laughs> Weird. Well, no, they never have guests at their wedding. Like, they're always, maybe you'll see uh, Fairfax and Adele sitting in the background, but it's always just Rochester and Jane and the guy marrying them alone and in the church. And usually what you didn't get, but usually what they also have is Rochester, like, basically dragging her into that church. Oof. Mm-hmm. Because he's like anxious to like get it over with so they can quickly flee the yeah. country because now they're going to be criminals is that and actually <laughs> did, did they even say they were going to go to france uh i don't know if it was france, or wherever but they the were idea go. was they were going he, to travel because you see like says, they have the whole line where he says to adele that he's going to take her to the moon which is in the book mm-hmm. mm. Yeah. But like, yeah. And they have the cute shopping spree, which there was a detail in this that I didn't pick up on before. Um, during the yes. shopping spree, there's a shot where he, Rochester and Jane are sitting in a carriage and there's like a, 
a fortune teller lady mm-hmm. there and he's like no mother like we can tell our own fortunes it's full of positivity and goodness and he gives her a coin and it's like get away from me and it's like oh you should have listened to what she had to say <laughs> probably like um wedding will not happen fire in your future blind <laughs> tragically we didn't make patrick watch one of the most iconic jane eyre scenes um we should have found a different <laughs> adaptation to watch so patrick could see the scene where Rochester, you know, okay, so you know how, like, classically when you're in love with someone, but they're, like, they're your employee, so, like, you don't want to, like, straight up ask them, like, hey, do you like me? So instead, when you have a bunch of party guests over, um, you leave to run an errand, and then um, a fortune teller, which you use a different slur instead, yep. a fortune yeah, yeah. teller shows up um, and says, hey, we have to read all the young ladies' fortunes, um, and then you read all of your guests, all of the single women, you read all of their fortunes. And then finally you go, you, you trick them into bringing the governess in. Um, and you kind of just like ask her a lot of questions about whether or not she likes her boss. And then you reveal that it was you and drag the whole time. Yes. And you, it's very important that when you do the reveal, you have to shout off you yes. lendings. That's like a that's critical, a big, critical that's a big power move. Only that's cool like guys a normal that. way to find out if someone likes you. <laughs> That is that is wild. There, yes, I feel I I feel like I heard you. I remember you mentioning this, and yeah, there's some there's some just there's a lot of scenes in like even like truly great classic literature where just like what are you doing? What are you talking about? Here's a fact that I think you would enjoy. That I am. I do think it's important that you read this other book. That I'm obviously I'm going to make you read Jane Eyre now. Yeah. Um. But another book that I think you would really enjoy that I haven't read and probably won't read because I don't think I'll enjoy it is Weathering Heights. Because Jane Eyre is tame relative to Weathering Heights. (laughs) I believe it. Yeah. We've learned we, that story is even more wild, which we didn't we think was possible. It, it, and there's so many things in it. And so I would like your uncut thoughts about Weathering Heights <laughs> at some point. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So and then, yeah, the other one of the other notes I made is um, when she gets sent to the school, it was like uh, modern troubled teens. Um, uh, uh, some modern troubled teens places. Some of those messed up. Also probably yeah. about as Christian. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the hypocrisy and... of Christianity is uh, a big theme in this. And it uh, not to plug our podcast to you on our podcast, um, <laughs> but we had a professor uh, come on a few months ago and talk to us about the theology of Jane Eyre. Sure. And I learned mm-hmm. so much during that. And it's really interesting that you brought up the idea that a lot of literature at the time was critical of religion in this way. Because yeah. I think a lot of the literature from the time that has lived that on survived. was critical of religion yeah. in that way. Because religion, this is, there are specific parallels of stories that were told similarly to Jane Eyre, familiar moments like Helen, who was her friend when they were a child, and other things that are explicitly Jane Eyre is going against those tropes, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because. There are so many things now that we are so familiar with this story that are tropes because of Jane Eyre. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things that felt really tropey about Jane Eyre that you learn it's because this is the origin of that, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. For sure. This was the first book ever to criticize religion. Yep. No one's ever done it. 
I mean, it definitely not again. She's so brave. learning about the French Revolution and about how they would. Uh, they found that the 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 guillotine was was too slow for killing priests, so they uh, they tied up all the priests on a boat, pushed it out into the ocean, and then sunk it. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> not faster. a fact. Just all one. one. <laughs> Usually, again, Incredible. you can tell who he's related to because he's bringing the really upsetting, true historical fun facts or not so fun facts. I've um, uh... currently been going back to um, the show Poldark, which I'm sure many of our listeners are a fan of because uh, it's a very good period drama, but also has a very hot studly lead <laughs> actor in it. Um, but the conflict that they're talking about the sort of the second season is a lot of like civil unrest mm. and all the English people are so afraid because of what they're hearing about what's going on in France. And there's even a line in a recent episode where they're like, they've invented this awful machine. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, everyone's super scared about it. So like, we have to keep people calm so they don't attack us. The too. ironic thing about guillotines is that they're, they're actually a much more humane way of killing people than the previous thing, which was hanging or like drawing and quartering, which is like horrible. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Quick it's actually probably more humane than the way we kill people now. Uh, yeah. Lethal, hey, lethal injection back. is bad. Actually. Patrick, we're supposed to bring historical sad facts, not current Sorry. modern sad facts. Sorry. <laughs> Ignore the troubled teens don't, comment don't as well. Don't make me that's, sad about what's happening right now. Let's pretend that's not happening now, too. Um, <laughs> I will say a criticism that I had just because since we're talking about Lowood, a criticism that I had that I know we talked a lot about in our first episode of this, so I'm not going to go too in depth out of it, but also really stood out to me in this rewatch is um, you can tell this was made by men because they give a lot of the agency to male characters that in the book mm. is female characters. For example, the doctor is sort of an amalgamation of a few different characters um, but the main one that he's sort of taking the plot points of is a character called Miss Temple, who is a teacher there. Um, and she had this very specific example of feminine strength that I love very much. And it makes me so angry that they gave yeah. all of her agency to a man. The So the, the first comment I made was that the intro reminded me of Young Frankenstein. But the second <laughs> comment I made was, uh, ah, yes. Three men wrote this screenplay. That's uh, mm -hmm. encouraging. <laughs> I will right? say, unlike some of the other versions that we have watched, I'm fairly confident these men read the book. Um, yeah. We've watched a lot of versions of this where I'm pretty sure they never read the book. This one had some care. As we've established, um, Orson Welles is a stan. Yeah. yeah. He loves he loves Jane. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. It genuinely did. There were there was a lot of stuff that it felt like this was not like a cynical um, or a there, there's there is sometimes a tendency to when you're doing an interpretation like judge the thing you're making mm -hmm. or or mm -hmm. like for example like those campy jokes like like you can make it like rolling your eyes at, oh, literature from the 1800s <laughs> whereas I do feel like yeah when they did that it was like I don't know it felt like it was in on the joke with the, yeah. with the novel. All like, of like, all of the jokes were laughing with you, not at yeah. you. Patrick, I think as we kind of wrap up this beautiful conversation, <laughs> I think I would like to ask a very important question of you. If you were to insert yourself into the mm -hmm. story through the eyes of Jane, and you too are, had your wedding day ruined, saw the monster upstairs, heard the excuse from the man that you love, mm -hmm. and he asks you to stay, would you stay or would you yeah. go? Um, I hope that I would have, uh, even, I, I hope that I would leave. 
Aww. Here's the thing. Here's the, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't know if I would, especially in a world of um, holy shit, this guy's rich. Um, I don't know. It's you can't be sure, but um, just that security alone would keep you that, around to be like, chance. well, there's a chance. I mean, he could maybe like keep having that lady, I guess, but I get to like have a nice fire and clothes the, and think about the shopping tree we just went on. We just spent. <laughs> We just spent more money than I've ever <laughs> seen in my point. life. <laughs> the shopping spree. <laughs> Patrick is, at the end of the day, a material girl. I I, I, I love I, it. My dream is sugar baby. Um, <laughs> and that's why he's marrying a future doctor. Not marrying. You technically haven't proposed. <laughs> no spoilers. No spoilers <laughs> for life. <laughs> For his real life, real life is that I like his girlfriend and want them to get married. (laughs) By the way, you said you were going to make Bex watch this. Did she watch it with you? Yeah, she did. She was present. What did she think? Um, Cool. uh, I don't. She she was like she reacted to like three things, and she was pretty sure Rochester was terrible. That was like a (laughs) hundred percent of her takeaway. As as someone who half watched it, she was like. Every every time he did anything, she was like, "This this <laughs> this motherfucker." From what I so go ahead. Bex would have stayed for sure, but Patrick would have. Oh no, she would have left for sure, and Patrick would have stayed for the money. Oh, she would have left well before that. She would have left nice. two months into being a governor and taken it out. The very first time he like showed up and made her sit in the chair when she wanted to move it, Bex would have been out. Yeah. I know Bex well She's enough like, to I know, know that she would have left. <laughs> incredible <laughs> oh my gosh patrick thank you so much for bringing a new perspective into the studio um for watching uh an, a weird old movie <laughs> that you maybe didn't care to see but you did it yeah. anyway thank you for that and for sharing your thoughts and opinions yes, of course we uh always do ratings at the end it's a scale of one to ten but you get to decide one to ten of what um, so examples of the past is Piper has rated it on Timmy D's. Um, I've frequently rated on, uh, pilot the dogs. Um, but, uh, I'm going to make you go first. Um, so what would you on a scale of one to 10 rate this movie? Uh, I would rate it eight out of 10, uh, Orson Welles. Okay. Peak Levy. Awesome. I would also rate it eight out of 10. And I'm going to use the metric of um, cupcakes because that's what I think of when I see Adele's little dress. I also am thinking Adele's dress. Um, But I'm going to go with 9 out of 10 ballerinas. Um, And also, here's a fun fact for our listeners. We swapped ratings. When we first watched this, Piper rated it 9 out of 10. And now I'm rating it 9 out of 10. Um, And I rated it 8 out of 10 last time. So was it all of the actual like quotes from the novel it was, that kind it of was the, sp- pushed you over? The first time I watched it, I think some of the melodrama like put, turned me off. And I also was so mm-hmm. angry about the way they started it with taking so much agency away from the female characters that I, mm-hmm. lo- I lost the like appreciation of Jane Eyre, where I think this time I was able to see how much care was put into telling the story of Jane Eyre, um, even with uh, sexist assholes. So. Mm-hmm. there you go yay and i couldn't help but swoon every time i saw orson wells because he's like freakishly barrel chested and tall compared to this lady and like he's always like looming over her in a doorway and i'm like whoa oh my goodness <laughs> crazy um by the way orson wells uh someone who 
there was a lot of shots where they were clearly trying to make him seem taller. Um, so I mm-hmm. was having trouble telling like, is Orson Welles actually a tall man or are they trying to make him, is he one of those actors who turns out to be really short? He's not really short, but he is really, really short relative to one of the people currently on this podcast. Um, because this man was six <laughs> feet tall. Um, and so Patrick would have towered over him. Yeah. <laughs> Lillian comes from a family of giants. Yeah. I I'm like a little pea in a pod when I stand <laughs> next to these guys. <laughs> um, my shorter of my brothers is six feet tall. Patrick is uh, six six. Yeah, yeah, tall, tall, wow. tall boy. Mm-hmm. It's amazing you can fit in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys, uh, your square footage here isn't great. Oh, it's, awesome! It's a bit Thank of a you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We So next week, Lillian, what do people have to look forward to if they tune in again? Uh, well, unfortunately, we have not harangued Patrick into coming back. Um, but fortunately, we are revisiting a uh, previous topic that we've done on this podcast before, which is fan fiction. Um, and mm-hmm. for those of you who have been listening since then and heard that episode, you know that Piper and I each wrote a Jane Eyre fan fiction that you can read on our website right now, airbuds.com. Um, and we are going to be talking about those because we didn't have enough time to do it on the last one. So we are reading each other's fan fiction and we're going to chat about that. Yeah. Going to like interview each other, yeah. kind of talk about like, what was your direction, your inspiration? I feel like it's also really fitting because it is technically NaNoWriMo as oh, well, yeah. National Novel Writing Month. So I've been in a wild writing frenzy yes. myself. So I'm excited to go back to these and chat Yay. about them. Um, if people want to tell Patrick all of their uh, distaste of his opinions, first of all, I get it. I'll give you his personal email. Um, in order to get that, though, you do have to email us at airbuds at gmail.com. Um, we get so many good emails there. We so appreciate all of those. We have had a few people who heard that we're uh, sort of at a point where we're starting to wrap up the podcast. And uh, you have made me cry, in case you were wondering. Mostly good tears, oh. but it's so lovely to hear how much this podcast means to you guys. It means a lot to us, too. Yeah, it does. So thank you. Keep sending us nice words and join us on social at earbuds. Um, You can still get this out to more people before we do that final wrap Mm -hmm. up uh, by leaving five stars on your podcast app of choice. We'd love to hit that little boost and get a few more people. Yeah, write your uh, thoughts about um, Orson Welles' height. Do you think six feet is Mm -hmm. really respectful or do you think that maybe he was sort of lying the way men do on dating apps? Yeah, we'll have to see. But until then, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again, thank Patrick. You, Patrick. And I know I like yeah. mostly roasted you, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next week. Until then, happy Jane Eyre reading and watching. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.